It was disgusting. I was like, oh my god, and then I killed it. I'm an Avenger. <laughs> you are an Avenger. You're top of the food chain, at least. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Thank you for joining us for episode 30. This week is going to be pretty full of updates. I think both of us have like two weeks to catch up on. And then we've got some good segments for you guys that tie into those updates. I think it's my turn to uh, just jump into some updates. Isn't that right? Yeah, go for it. Well, I'm going to kick off your update because it was your birthday a couple of days ago. Right. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm 41 now. And it, oh, feels boy. it feels really weird to say that. <laughs> weirder than 40? It, yeah, actually. Actually, yeah, it does feel weirder than 40. 40 was like, it was like going up a step. Like, uh-huh. you're like, oh, okay, shit. I'm in my 40s now. But uh-huh. then 41, it's like permanent. You're like, <laughs> I'm in my 40s now. <laughs> yeah. Now you're just trudging through your 40s. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'd say the depression of 40 has waned and now <laughs> I'm just now I'm just 41 and, you know, I'm there. Yeah. You're just admired so, in it. Yeah. So it's okay. It was good. We had a I had a good birthday though. Yeah. Um I was interested for two reasons. One, um, my wife's birthday is the day after your birthday, uh, which is yesterday. So in our two families, we had birthdays back to back and we did a little, you know, uh, well, this is the second thing I'm interested in is it's your first birthday as a parent. So did anything special occur on this birthday? It was the first time where I was like having to think about somebody else's needs. Like I guess on my birthday when usually when my wife and I go out, she's like, plans the day and we'll do something and then I'm just kind of like sitting back and enjoying the ride kind of but this Mm -hmm. time it's more like okay well let's let's figure out together what we're gonna do and then what works for Coda as well and how are we gonna do everything together Mm -hmm. so it was a little bit different yeah any special presents I mean kind of I got a uh, a Cuisinart panini press okay (laughs) (laughs) which which is like i feel like it's the the epitome of 40s birthday presents (laughs) it's it's right in the wheelhouse but for sure it's exactly what i requested too so (laughs) (laughs) my my wants are exactly where my age is i think yeah that's healthy (laughs) seems like i was imagining you'd get like a board game that's suitable for two month olds and up or something but um the panini maker that's solid that's a it's solid a, 41 year old man yeah, yeah it is i buy myself enough board games and i think i'm gonna buy coda enough board games that i don't need to get those for my birthday and yeah moe won't get those for me anymore because i buy them too much for myself okay that's good <laughs> so you've struck a balance there yeah i was thinking about like uh ayumi's birthday and my birthday though Cause it's kind of interesting if you think about it, like my birthday is June 2nd in America, mm-hmm. but it's hers is the third here, mm-hmm. which is technically the same day. Oh yeah, that's true. Eh? So technically yeah. we, we have, we share the same birthday. Yeah. 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 In that international sense, you definitely do. I yeah. never thought about that. Um, I always like the birthday when you're, uh, you know, across the world because you get, at least 36 hours, maybe more like 48 hours of straight up birthday wishes. And yeah. Uh, kind of space them out through the day. It's, I think it's, de- it's a little depressing kind of being here coming mm-hmm. from America because your birthday doesn't technically start in America yet. Yeah. So you wake up and you have no birthday messages yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, son of a bitch. Like nobody yeah. cares. Whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then as the day goes, you they slowly start to trickle in. And then halfway through the next day, you, yeah. that's when you really get your like messages dump on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you just get off on the wrong foot is all. <laughs> right. That's not, not ideal, but you know, it shakes out. Yeah. I got, um, I should say, Nico and I got my wife a birthday present, which was... Um, uh, it's kind of like a wood carving of three elephants, and um, two mm. of them are 
obviously the parent elephants and one of them is the baby elephant Very and nice. it's like a nice wall decoration wood carving sort of thing hmm. and uh i always wanted something like that uh i've seen it in my wife's grandmother's house she has a picture up on the wall that's some sort of like stitched embroidery sort of thing that's in a frame and it's um like two i think storks or cranes or some type of tall bird Mm. uh and one of them's bent over feeding a nest full of baby birds and uh i always liked that kind of classic image of the family maybe represented by some animals or something so i found this um wood carving of the elephants and i thought that that was a nice, sweet thing, especially for the first birthday as a as a, an official family, you know, with three members. Yeah, definitely. Did you guys, was it harder dealing with it with, with Nico, like planning something? Yeah, I mean, we're still on the tail end of coronavirus, so we're only half in on gatherings anyway. Um, so we kind of, you know, didn't want to have a, a party, I think. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, one thing that came up was uh, yesterday an outdoor event. It's uh, it was the Lantern Festival in Kanazawa. Oh, right. um, it's where they in the old days they would have a lantern. It's like made out of probably balsa wood and then a very light paper, and then they light a candle in the middle of it, and they do hundreds of these, and then put mm. them up the river in the, in the Sanagawa, and those drift down the river, and you see all these like illuminated, gorgeous yeah. lanterns. Uh, floating down the river um that happened every year up until 2018 when several of them burst into flames yeah. <laughs> i remember they, they canceled the lantern festival indefinitely <laughs> and uh, it was a bit of a scandal um which how big of a scandal is it really when they're surrounded by water i mean i feel like it's one of those things in the u.s people would just sort of laugh at it but then like oh that one's burning you know because it's like probably like a fire like that is probably the 10th most dangerous thing happening in your vicinity in the u.s at any given time right but <laughs> in, in japan that was quite a scandal so um they uh they redid it they it was off for few years they canceled it but then also coronavirus happened so there has been no lantern festival and it came back this year with leds so i guess the safer way is to dump hundreds of electronics into the river i think you know i've i was always surprised that they actually lit candles for this yeah it's like it just seems like an obvious hazard yeah, it's strange, but they're floating in a river, I guess, is the thought, and they're monitored. I, I guess they could come up to the edge of the river and light some brush on fire or something, but yeah, it's I all mean, very, it's almost summer, so it's pretty dry. Well, it's Japan, so it's all very like you know, the river is like stonework on either side, and it's a very That's controlled true. environment. It's not like going into some weeds ever, though. That's I guess there are, there's a bit of growth here and there, so I don't know. Probably not yeah. ideal. But it's it's LEDs now. Uh, certainly not as bright, but um, we saw it yesterday. And that was sort of the birthday event. Then afterward, we went to uh, my wife's parents' house and had some sushi delivered and Ooh, had nice. a little party there, just sort of family level stuff. That's nice. Yeah. A couple of years ago, <clears throat> that lantern event was mm-hmm. on my birthday. Exactly. Oh, cool. And uh, we went to a, a local restaurant over there, right on that river, Huni. And it was yeah. pretty cool to kind of see them. I think it was the year before they had that big fire. Mm. Or maybe the same year they had the big fire. Oh, I would have loved to see the fire. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to as well. <laughs> would have been cool. <laughs> so it's our, it's our birthday roundup. Um, nice. And not only bring back the Lantern Festival, but bring back the fires. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like NASCAR. You just go for the fires. Well, there's that uh, big festival up in Noto here that's just like a bonfire festival. Have you been oh, to that yeah. one? Yeah, I've been to that. Have you gone to that it's one? It's massive. No, I haven't. Yeah, I went to that one before. And um, at the very least, uh, it was the fires are out in the water because mm. Noto's coastal. So it's out into the uh, the sea there. And they build these pyres, and I think it's quite shallow, so you can walk out, you know, probably, uh, I don't know, 50 meters or more. Oh, and cool. uh, yeah, these guys will walk out and uh, light these. I mean, they're enormous. They're probably mm. like two stories up in the air, and they just burn and burn. And then another thing they do there is they'll go out to the pier, and they do a fireworks show, but they shoot the fireworks 
parallel to the water and the fireworks even skip on the water and then just explode. Oh, wow. So imagine like a full on fireworks display that should be high up in the sky, but they're just shooting them at the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) They're exploding on the water. And meanwhile, there's like seven or eight enormous pyres of just burning stuff. uh, And it's it's pretty intense, but it all it is out to sea a few dozen meters. As long as it's not a windy day. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to lose track of a firework. Launch into the crowd. Uh, so, yeah, I, that, it's a pretty cool one. I haven't seen it in several years, but it is wild. Nice. Uh, so the other update that we have beyond you guys' birthdays, we did vaccine round three here um, just That's earlier this week. also one of my updates. I have vaccine round one, or I guess two. Okay. Uh, our vaccine round two was a single shot. How many shots was your round two? I guess it was round one then because it was the two month and it was the three shots in the drink. Yes, yes. Three shots in a drink. That was our first round. It sounds like a TV show name. Yeah, three shots in a drink. That's <laughs> like my Tuesday. Oh. Uh, so hey, save we... the jokes, buddy. Okay. <laughs> on the jokes for a while. Um, we did round two, uh, you know, a month or so ago, and that was a single shot. Now round three, it was four mm. shots and a drink. Oh, yikes. Up in the game. The game and four shots. I mean, they go arm, leg, arm, leg, pour the syrup in his mouth all within a few minutes. Uh, but I've developed over time, I've developed less anxiety about the vaccines because the baby is such a trooper through it. Um, I've said it a million times, but if the needle is in his arm or in his leg, he's screaming and hates it. And mm. then the needle's out and he's like, uh, 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 uh. and then he's Man. fine. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So he forgets about it as soon as it's gone. And maybe after four of them in a row, he's a little more frantic, but still within less than a minute, he is on an even keel again and he's just bobbling around and being googly, you know? And I am a little envious of that, as I'm sure Coda is, because he is like, it's a solid cry from when we go into the doctor's office the shots aren't even out there yet. He's already fussy. And then like once the shot goes in, it's just like he peaks. Man, it's like 110% cry. Yeah. And it's just like the the loudest cry I've heard him make ever. The shot yeah. comes out. He's still crying, but it's maybe down to like an 80. Uh-huh. And then the next one happens back up. And it's yeah. this like up and down. And then we get out of there and he's just like not happy for the rest of the time we're in the, in the doctor's office. <laughs> it's like giving us looks like, what did you do to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Nico, he gives us a look and he has to rebound a little bit, but it just amazes me how fast it is. And I guess it's all part of like um, the baby is really in the moment kind of by default. Mm. They don't have memory. They don't. <laughs> they don't anticipate things. So it's like pain, pain, pain. Oh, it's gone now. And he's noticed something on the wall, and he's kind of giggling at it or whatever. But um, maybe it maybe it endures a little bit more with Coda. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, what I do don't know. He's but, he uh, seems, and we're gonna touch on this later too. But I think he seems to. He he's very present, and he notices things. Like if we walk away, he knows mm-hmm. that we're. Walking away from him and he's like oh they're leaving i'm sad and Mm -hmm. then as soon as we come back he's like oh wait there they are okay i'm happy yeah so i think he's he's definitely understanding like oh that sucked i don't want that to happen again yeah it's crazy when you do get four shots in a row because or three even because it's like you know that it happens so quickly that they definitely haven't calmed down from the first one when the second one comes and then there yeah it it is kind of a a sine wave or something of like there's constant Mm. there but it's uh, just up and down a bit it's kind of overwhelming too because as the parent they want you to you know like okay pin his head to your chest and now wrap your other arm around his rib cage and then a nurse is like holding down his leg and then the doctor gets in there with the shot so uh, and in the meanwhile you've got like he's at his max sort of like you know shouting and fussiness and worminess and you're trying to really pin him down against all of that so it's an intense couple of minutes but um it just away how fast the kid recovers from it 
I guess it's case by case though. Yeah. Once we were back in the car, Coda was pretty fine and forgot the whole incident, but That's it, ling- it definitely lingered longer than Nico from the yeah. sound of it. Those are all of my updates for the updates section. Do you have any more updates? Uh, yeah, I got a couple things. We did our consulate visit, I guess a week and a half, two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Again, like yours, ours wasn't as smooth. I think mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> things, don't, things don't go as smooth for us as they go for you guys in this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty busy when we went there. Hmm. Like just the whole getting to the consulate part, like there was a line outside when you get to the consulate and then, you know, you have to take everything out of your pocket and like mm-hmm. they get, they make sure you're there for the reason that you're there. Mm-hmm. And there was already, we were like third in line outside and then we mm-hmm. get inside and then like the whole waiting room was full. Wow. And even their overflow mm-hmm. waiting room off to the side, there was a bunch of people standing around in there. So wow. the whole thing took us a couple hours and, uh, I think the worst part was the payment part for us because they tell you online, like they take, they only take dollars, like Mm -hmm. us dollars, but that's a lie. Mm -hmm. You can bring, you can bring yen. They don't care, but (laughs) they also say online that they take credit cards and that's also a lie because their payment system's always down. (laughs) (laughs) So I brought zero cash. I brought credit cards and I was like, okay, I should be good. The lady at the windows, she's swiping my card. I even tried three different cards she swipes mm. all of them. She's like, okay, nothing's work. Our system's down. And mm. I'm like, son of a bitch. Mm. So I had to go run out to an ATM, grab a bunch of money, come back in, Good deal Lord. with the whole like system of going through everything again. And then I was able to pay. But the whole thing took at least like three, maybe two and a half hours. Wow. Um, that is uh, corroborated by my other friends who are American and they had a couple of daughters in the last couple of years. Mm. And the, uh, the dad told me, yeah, expect about a two hour, um, wait on that. And um, we showed up, there was nobody else in line when we outside Mm -hmm. and inside going through the metal detectors and stuff, not another person at all. We got up to the, to the room itself and there were a couple of other people, but there were like, no one ever walked into that side waiting room because there were always chairs available in the main waiting room. Wow. Um, And this is a coronavirus waiting room with like spaces between all the chairs as well. Yeah. Uh, And then, um, yeah, we had enough US dollars sort of laying around. So we, um, we paid with that. There was no Mm. trouble. But what did I say? It was like, we were out in 20 minutes or something. I mean, we were done with the process in about 20 minutes. Yeah, you. I think you said like under an hour, in and out, all good. Yeah. You were eating hamburgers. Yeah, and that was, <laughs> um, we just hung around to get, to make use of their nursing room. So that was mm. mostly just, most of the time we were there was just feeding Nico, taking advantage of the space. I wonder what was different about your day. Like I went on a random Thursday. Yeah, we were random Tuesday, so I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know what makes a Tuesday better than a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, but uh, experiments for yourself, dear listener. Um, try Tuesday, see if it happens. Yeah, and we both went to Osaka too, so this yeah. could be different in other cities. <clears throat> but yeah. I think Osaka is the best because, I mean, they have the best Yodobashi camera around and the best, oh, well, yeah, the best station area. I think. Yeah, and it's only it's less than a kilometer walk from the station too. Is yeah. the great thing you don't need yeah. it secondary transportation no but bear in mind there are like zero atms around that consulate so you're gonna have mm. to walk to go get money if you forget it yeah <laughs> like yeah, i can't did. imagine that would have panicked me so much needing to leave the consulate and come back to the consulate uh, i was just pissed i was yeah. just pissed <laughs> <laughs> i bet that's something i have noticed and this is a real like america's a second world country kind of indicator is that <laughs> So much of what you see online for like government websites and stuff is just contradicted or full of problems, or it says one thing on one page, something else on the second page. And I think they're cranking out rules and regulations faster than they can keep up with them. Right. Uh, You know, more or less. And I'm not like taking a stance as like a, you know, small government's the best government kind of thing. It's just that. I think in terms of dealing with foreign people or expatriates, mm. they only want to increase the difficulty and the hurdles 
because the general attitude in the U.S. is like less immigration is better. So let's make right. it as difficult as possible on anybody who's either trying to get in or one of our citizens who's turned his back on this great land. You know, they just, it seems <laughs> like at some level they're trying to make it harder and they can't keep up with their own rules. And it ends up like leading to these frustrating situations like you encountered where right. they tell you, you can or can't pay this way and you go and it's actually the opposite. And mm. any American abroad will be able to give you five stories off the cuff about how silly it is to deal with immigration or the IRS or anything, uh, you know, oh, yeah. that, like from the foreign perspective. Yeah. Anyhow, you got through it, still waiting for the delivery of the passports and the consular report of birth. Yep. Yep. They told us everything was fine. Once I paid and was able to get the money, then, uh, yeah, it was pretty smooth. They ask you a couple questions. We got kind of a, a douche at the window. I mean, he wasn't a douche, but he wasn't like, like there was a bunch of ladies in the back and then there was one guy and the ladies were super cool, really helpful. Nice. We had to use the nursing room. The lady came over, opened the door, super chatty. Mm-hmm. But the, the guy who came to the window and was like interviewing us, he was just very like not personable at all. Mm. And he like just apparently just did not want to be there. <laughs> I think yeah. was the impression I got. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Okay. What's your name? What's his name? Okay, cool. You were in America. Good. Okay. <laughs> he was like, all right, well, it's approved. We'll, we'll send you stuff in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, you're super nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's one of those reverse culture shock things people talk about when they arrive at an airport in the U.S. They're like, oh, this is what like yeah. TSA is like in this country. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> especially coming from Japan, where basically the face you put on for the customer is the single most important thing. And right. Just go absolutely wild trying to be polite. And then in the U.S., it's like they're working in the opposite direction in many ways, like, <laughs> trying to be as hard as they can. And um, the juxtaposition is crazy. So then at a U.S. consulate in Japan, I always wonder which of those two is going to win out because these people live in Japan. So they're used to the Japanese system. Maybe some of that's rubbed off, but they're fundamentally Americans. So maybe they're still (laughs) American. I don't know. But when we went, I felt it was more of the Japanese treatments and things just went really smoothly. Yeah, the people before us got one of the ladies Mm -hmm. and they got, I think, the Japanese treatment from her Mm -hmm. because she... I could hear what they were talking about from their window and it was super nice. The lady was really chatty asking all questions about the kids. I think we just, we had that guy on that bad day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It wasn't terrible. It was just, I guess, as you say, it was the American experience. Yeah. A bit cold. And I've been here long enough. I just expect the Japanese experience wherever I go now. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. eh? (laughs) The bar gets raised. But uh, that's it for... Updates for us, I guess. No news is good news, generally. Mm. Uh, I've got a couple of updates that lead right into segments, so let's go over to the segment zone. All right. I just named it the segment zone, by the way. (laughs) Update one turns into a segment is we had an issue with our crib and our baby in the crib. And you have the identical crib. This is the Brotish. Yeah, Brotish. Brotish. Not to name drop. I don't know if it's a good one or a bad one or what. It's just the only one that really suited our needs on Amazon.co.jp. Yep. The thing about the Brotish is it's sort of meant to be hybrid and meant to last for several years. So right now it's a bed and it's got a platform like, you know, a foot off the floor of it. You know, there's a platform that's up about halfway And that's the baby's bed. It's pretty solid and a mattress goes on top of it. Then you can eventually ditch that platform and it turns into a playpen. So it's got like Mm -hmm. the mesh walls and it's like a, you know, softish nylon sort of a situation. But anyway, um, because it's convertible, it's got a lot of like zippers and things that can remove and like insert and so on and so forth. And Mm -hmm. some things that you don't even need because it's for a later stage of the, the contraption. So, I had missed a zipper that runs down the side of the bed platform. Uh, it goes the entire horizontally. Uh, yeah, it goes the okay. entire the entire length of one side of the the bed platform in the middle. So okay. where the kid sleeps, 
and the zippers like tucked under a flap so i didn't really see it and um, mm. i didn't know that it had to be zipped also there's not like you know that level of detailed instruction there's just sort of basic like you know put this together insert that do that but it's not telling you step by step be sure to find this zipper So I had missed a zipper and it had never been zipped for like three months. So Ayumi and I were asleep. We all sleep in the same room and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and we heard a, like a audible thud, kind of a a thumpy thud and then followed by Nico crying. Oh no. What in the world? And meanwhile, he's like not very mobile. So it's like, what could he have even done? So then. We were both dead asleep, and then we heard the thud and the cry, so we both like sort of sprang up out of the bed. We come over to the crib, and there's no baby in the crib at all. Oh, like, on the sleeping surface, there's no baby. And then immediately, like, you've just come out of sleep, and you're like, no baby in the crib, but you can hear him crying. So then you, like, look on the floor on all sides, and he's not there either, and he's, he's still, still hear the crying. And then we realized that he had like scooted himself to the edge and the zipper that was not zipped, he then fell between the wall of the crib and the platform. And then he fell into what is essentially like a storage compartment. It's like a no man's land underneath the bed, you know? Poor little guy. Yeah, so he was down there. And then you can see through the mesh wall, he's just laying in the bottom storage (laughs) compartment. And uh, what might have you're laughing about it? Yeah, (laughs) it was worrying at the time and for about half a day, and then it immediately became funny. It was like (laughs) because he's just so helpless and he's trapped down there, and he's all like, you know, it's all zipped up and closed off. And we do keep stuff down there, like additional like sheets and mattress covers and diapers and soft things, so he didn't fall like directly onto the the nylon bottom. But uh, which that's good. That has underneath it like all of the aluminum support poles that are the structure of the thing so that was a little bit of a worry was that he had fallen into that and he had something to break his fall but still there are these metal poles running underneath it Mm. head might have you know smacked one of those on the way down and uh we you know sort of like had to drag him out of the storage compartment and then again within probably 15 seconds he was just you know silly and happy again so he had a major trauma where he fell through his crib and uh, was trapped in the storage area and then forgot about it immediately. Wow. But that also, it made me wonder what is the protocol because he could have easily hit his head on something and a head injury is not always immediately obvious. So what do you do in that case? So right away I grabbed the, what to expect the first year, mm. uh, completely revised and updated third edition and there's a section in the back that's all about injuries it's like many many pages long dozens of pages that are about different injuries and how to deal with those so i looked up the head injury part Hmm. and their advice is and this is the advice that we followed that you should monitor the child closely for six hours and watch for any of these several symptoms and then they they list off a lot of symptoms uh, they also say, like, monitor the child closely for six hours and off and on for the next few days. Just keep an eye on them after that uh, and be on the lookout for any of these symptoms. And I'll list them now. Some of them are really obvious and some of them are a bit more interesting. Uh, loss of consciousness. That would be concerning. Yep. If the child is hard to wake up, if the child is vomiting, if the baby has black and blue areas around the eyes and ears, which I mm. guess to indicate sort of swelling of the the brain or something. If you notice any indentation or depression in the head or the skull, obviously, uh, any swelling, if there is any blood or any other fluid coming from the ears or nose, uh, if the child has difficulty moving arms and legs, if the child exhibits lack of balance, like, you know, beyond what they're capable of normally. Hmm. The one that uh, I wouldn't have thought to look for, but that was interesting is unequal pupil size or if the pupils don't respond to light. So keep mm. a, keep an eye on their eyes, I guess. Also, any paleness after the injury. Uh, if the child has convulsions, of course, that would be alarming. And then in general, if the child's um, acting a bit dazed or confused or just not acting normally. Uh, mm. So the the warning signs to look out for and i did keep a close eye on it until 1 p.m that was the six hour limit and um he didn't have any symptoms at all he was and then you just threw him back in there and ignored him him the rest of the day (laughs) yeah yeah. let him fend for himself but um 
I'm glad that he fell all the way through because the worst I think would have been that he could have gotten pinned, you know, between yeah. the layer and the, the wall. That would have been bad. It could have like inhibited his breathing as well, like say mm. his body fit through, but his head wouldn't fit through or something. So I'm glad that he just slipped all the way through. And I very quickly took the crib apart and found the zipper that I hadn't seen before and, and zipped it up. That's so good. right back in the crib and it's um, it's all safe. I feel like it would be good to maybe take a picture of that and then in the Amazon review, maybe call that out a little bit because obviously uh, the company's not going to do it. Yeah, for sure. It's weird because it's like it's some bit of negligence on my part, but this crib doesn't come with detailed like step-by-step instructions. There's just like a pictographic kind of yeah. image printed on the crib itself. It's like expand yeah. it this way, put this in the middle and attach this but it's not telling you exactly what you need to do and exactly what you need to push to make sure it's all connected properly yeah so yeah i feel like the blame is sort of shared between the two of us but um yeah i just simply didn't notice that zipper yeah it's kind of a complicated system when you're putting it together even there's no like instructions on those bars underneath the the sleeping pad that you were saying that that goes in the middle yeah like it took us like a good five minutes to realize Oh, there's there's things here. They fit in this. You should put them yeah. there. <laughs> Those little like nylon slots except the bars on either end. And yeah. It's kind of complex to work your way through the first time. So yeah. be on the lookout and double check everything. And I guess um it may seem like common sense, but if there's a sleeping surface that's raised, be sure that it's fully connected on all four sides. Mm. I guess I mean it never even crossed my mind. I just laid the sleeping surface in the middle and it stayed. And it was obviously good for, you know, three months without incident. So uh, it wasn't lopsided or anything because it was connected on three sides of the rectangle. Yeah. And um, I don't know what happened. How he, he has been kicking his legs a lot and he can kind of scoot his body around slightly. He can't roll over, but oh, okay. um, he scooted close to the edge. And, uh, you know, with a baby, like if one leg went down, then that's slowly pulling him. And maybe he yeah. went piece. I don't know. Anyway crisis avoided i suppose well that's good so update number two mm. uh we had a um we had an instance where my wife and i needed to go to the same meeting and sign a, a document we're like in the house hunt and we're you know mm. at some stage of buying a house always so we needed to do another phase of that and go sign a contract so both of us had to go it's a lot easier to do that without having the the kid there so grandmother came over to watch the baby mm, nice and uh this was an interesting one because we were leaving the house we were, like literally walking out the front door the grandmother was holding the baby a few feet away from the front door and he's watching us go and he went ah, ah, like that <laughs> and he's only you know three and a half months old and we thought like oh is this the first time that he's like sad that we're leaving is that what's going on and we oh. kind of came back in for a second and we're like hey okay see you later we're just gonna go and then we walked out and he was fine the second time mm. but you never know if it's total random chance because you know he'll randomly shout or fuss at any point in the day could be a poop yeah could have pooped <laughs> anything <laughs> could have happened so we didn't know and then that set me down the path of trying to figure out when does separation anxiety set in for a kid mm. and when can you expect that to happen? So uh, back into the What to Expect book on page 478, they mention separation anxiety. They talk about it, but it's in the chapter on the 11th month. Yeah. So they're expecting a kid would be 11 months old before the separation anxiety might become a big thing. And uh, obviously our kid's only three and a half months. So that led me to believe like, well, it, it was probably just a random coincidence. But uh, the separation anxiety thing, uh, something that popped up in that discussion mm -hmm. is that object permanence is a big part of separation anxiety. And right. I had never considered that before. But if a kid, you know, like we were saying earlier, a, a young baby, a newborn up to several months it's just whatever's in front of their face, that's what they're aware of. And then that thing disappears and they're not thinking about it at all anymore. They're yeah. not like holding on to memories of those things. They're not anticipating seeing those things again in the future. They're not aware of time passing and yeah. that sort of stuff. They can't put all that together to miss anything or to anticipate missing anything. So object permanence necessarily has to be a part of separation anxiety. You have to know that your parents are leaving. You have to know what it means to exit the house and be gone and be afraid yeah. of 
to cry. So then I started looking up object permanence and trying to pin down sort of when does that take hold? When does a baby become aware of, of objects existing even when they can't see them and objects mm -hmm. up to and including people like your parents. So interestingly, the book, um, the what to expect when you're expecting book mentions object permanence very briefly and only a couple times. And the couple times it mentions object permanence once is in the six month chapter and the other times in the eighth month chapter. Hmm. In both of those instances, they're saying like, oh, yeah, you can work on a game like peekaboo or something to help the kid with object permanence or whatever. So sixth month and eighth month, that's when they're talking about it. So I went a bit further. Uh, I looked it up on WebMD, and WebMD says that uh, the uh, psychologist Jean Piaget uh, is the guy who sort of identified the significance of object permanence. And according to his original research way back in the day, uh, it took hold at eight months. But they said more recent research indicates that uh, kids are aware of object permanence uh, between four and seven months, but mm. in different capacities it's not like full awareness uh there are different levels of it and they'll like kids will exhibit some awareness between four and seven months but before i get into that i also went to the mayo clinic website and if you search object permanence on the mayo clinic website the only result or yeah the only search result that will hit is on the 10 to 12 month infant development page within hmm. the mayo so uh, Mayo Clinic only ever mentions it at 10 to 12 months, and they say something like the object permanence improves a lot through the 10th and 12th month. So maybe shows up before, but it gets a lot more solid after that. Right. So anyway, there doesn't seem to be, obviously, there's not a certain day or a certain month when it flicks on like a light switch. And more than that, it's like so many different layers of object permanence. Like um, mm -hmm. what if you cover half of a toy and the kid likes to play with, say, a feature on the half that they can't see. Do they remember that that's attached to the half that they can see? Like that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, there were also object permanence experiments that I read about where <clears throat> like there would they would let a kid watch a car go down a track. And so the kid could see it like move down the track over and over. Then they would, uh, you know, put an obstruction on the track and show the car hit the obstruction. Then they would cover that up with a screen and then secretly remove the obstruction. So the kid thinks, oh, the obstruction's still there. But then the car passes down the track behind the screen and comes out the other end. And they would register like surprise on the parts of children. They said down hmm. to three and a half months. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. And that's a lot of different skills. That's like seeing something move and then projecting that motion into the future and expecting it to show up and then not expecting it to show up when there's an obstruction in the path. And it's like very complex, actually. Hmm. Uh, they would register surprise on kids. I don't know what the measure of surprise was, how exactly they quantified that. But they said down to three and a half months. And that qualifies as object permanence because it's about like, well, that obstruction should still be there, even though I can't see it. Therefore, it should have stopped the car moving down the track. Hmm. There are so many different ways, so many different levels. But at the end of the day, I think our child is just too young at three and a half months to see us stand in the doorway and equate that with they are about to go somewhere and I'm not going to have them anymore. I right. think three and a half months is just like too soon for that. So I, in the end, chalk it up to uh, just a coincidence. And the fact that about 30 seconds later, we were leaving again with no incident at all. Uh, yeah. after we came back and, you know, edited them a little bit and then <laughs> went on our way. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I don't notice anything with Coda, he's just over two now, but we notice that he gets fussy if we're not there for a little while. We just leave him in the playpen downstairs. Mm -hmm. Then he'll start to fuss until he sees one of us. Mm -hmm. So it's it's definitely he's definitely not developed to the point of object permanence. I always assume that that sort of thing might just be um, straight up boredom. Like I assume, like anybody, if you stare at one thing or in a certain position for say an hour or 30 minutes or whatever it is mm. eventually you just want to change it and i assume that babies are the same way you know like our child loves to sit up vertically but even if you hold him up vertically for a while he gets sick of that too and mm. i always thought maybe my face popping into view he probably remembers our faces but um mm. it's just a distraction or it's like a, a new thing that's entertained him now mm. so Maybe, uh, you know, in my mind, I've always chalked that up to just um, I'm alleviating boredom by changing his environment a little bit. 
rather than he's missing me, I guess. Could be, but we never leave him long enough that I think boredom sets in for him. It's always like we set him down, we go, then the fussiness starts. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we come back, he's like, oh, okay, they're back. If we leave him for like, we leave him for 30 minutes sometimes, and he seems super fine in those Mm -hmm. instances. He's Mm -hmm. like staring at the ceiling, his favorite thing in the world. And then, yeah, but it's like sometimes he just feels maybe loneliness. Yeah, Uh, we must have talked about that before. I've definitely read, uh, especially in the beginning, the very early newborn days, the kids trying to establish things like basic trust and there has to be instinct for eating. And then you make quick connections about who's giving me food and what can I do to eat and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the kids probably got some comfort level of seeing a parent versus not seeing a parent. Yeah, maybe he's just wanting to see a parent and then it stops and he flips out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so it's it's weird how the kids come online. <clears throat> and it's also so difficult to put yourself in the mindset <clears throat> because uh, everything that you take for granted that you do as instinctual or as second nature, most of that stuff is absent in the kid's mind down True. to, uh, you know, covering a toy with a towel. The kid, that's a problem for a kid to solve and something for the kid to learn about mm. that uh, you're not just born with. So it's very hard to conceive of what they're thinking, but um, it certainly is interesting to read about and the sort of research that's been done. But that was my update number two, which led into segment number two. And I think that about wraps it up. So if you're fine too, we can do a bit of Japanese of the day. All right, let's do it. got for us today sensei justin japanese of the day today is the word for pediatrics which is shonika and shonika is uh it's three kanji the show means small the ni means child and the ka is like a department that you would see in a hospital um so it means the small child department that is <laughs> pediatrics then if you want to say pediatrician you just add one additional character that means doctor to the end of that. And the pronunciation is eat, just a very simple eat. So it's shonikai. Shonikai means a pediatrician or a small child department doctor. I like that better. Yeah, the small child department doctor. It's very, uh, it's very useful because all of the vaccine stuff, I assume you guys are you know, going mm-hmm. through a pediatrician for that. And we had just a few, well, just yesterday, actually, um, a bit of, uh, you know, rough skin around the ear on Nico. And then oh. we dropped by, or my wife dropped by the pediatrician's office and got some kind of uh, medicine for it. Hmm. So, yeah, the pediatrician becomes a pretty big part of your life. And the uh, shonikai, the pediatrician, will be a very important word to use. Nice. All right. So that was Japanese of the day. Hmm. I do have a my question for you is. Excellent. So my question for you is less about your kid, but more about yourself Hmm. as a lad. What was your earliest memory? I have no idea. Oh, really? I think I maybe like, I want to say like four. Mm -hmm. And only because I place together, like I can piece together some things from that time and things I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. What about this four-year-old memory? What was it? Actually, I think because it was slightly traumatic, which is why I remember it. Like mm-hmm. I was outside. We had one of those like crappy old sprinkler systems in the front yard mm-hmm. and it was going like crazy in Pennsylvania, which is why I think it was four because I, I left Pennsylvania when I was five. Mm-hmm. But we I think we left Pennsylvania at a point where it wasn't yet summer. Mm-hmm. So I so don't think so. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. And then there was a bee that got into the house. I remember feeling panicked because there was a bee in the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's kind of it. Like playing outside sprinkler. Suddenly we're all inside and there's a bee in a house and I'm kind of panicking. So I'm back outside. <laughs> <laughs> what a day. What a day for a four year old. A series of events there. <laughs> So you're going to be tuning into Netflix's Man vs. B as soon as that debuts. Absolutely not. I, <laughs> I I have a battle in my own house with bees. I hate bees. I'm not, oh, it's man. not like a fear. Like I have a fear of spiders for sure. 
bees, mm. it's more of a hatred. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's not bumblebees. Don't get me wrong. Bumblebees are great. It's the wasps and hornets and nasty oh, bees okay. that are... <laughs> the other day, I, I shit you not, the other day I was outside doing something with uh, the firewood and I saw a hornet literally eat a bumblebee from the face first. <laughs> Good Lord. It was disgusting. I was like, oh my God. And then I killed it. I'm an Avenger. <laughs> you are an Avenger. You're top of the food chain, at least. That's good. Um, you've got a real uh, on Walden Pond like battle royale happening outside yeah. your house. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, we've got our fair share of wasps around the house, and that's a constant battle. But um, yeah, yeah, that, that memory, I think the trauma is a big thing because. Yeah humans are hardwired to remember the bad things more because it keeps you safe or something. Yeah. So then inevitably you end up fixating on bad things like the bee in the house being worried yeah. about it. What about you? What's your earliest memory? Well, mine is like half trauma, not really trauma, but I tend to remember things from when I was a kid, when I was trying to figure something out, you know, I think mm. as a kid sort of passively like playing or watching TV or just, experiences are just kind of washing over you but then there comes a time when you need to figure something out for yourself and to me that's when your brain comes online in kind of a different way you're being a bit more active i remember being in a crib so i would have to assume that this was around two years old or something i actually just looked this up because i don't even know when a kid transitions from a crib to a bed i read that kids get out of the crib as early as 18 months but then up to three years or something so mm. that's somewhere in that range but say it was like around two mm -hmm. um i remember being in the crib i you know woke up and stood up but of course you're surrounded by the bars so I would sort of hang on, but then you can't get out of bed and do anything. Even though you're old enough to like stand and walk, you can't do anything. So you have to shout for your parents. And I remember shouting for my mom uh, being stuck in the crib and you know, it's America. So you've got your own bedroom and you're already like sort of down the hall. Yeah. And uh, I would have to like, you know, shout like to two rooms away to get anybody to come get me out of the crib. I remember doing that once and I was shouting like, mama, 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 like that. And then my dad came in and it was such a shock to the system <laughs> to be shouting for my mom. And then my dad came in. I remember thinking like, so when I call for my mom, then my dad comes? Is that how it works? When I need to get out of the crib? And then uh, like, obviously not in those terms, but I thought I need to figure this out. And then I remember trying again later and shouting for my dad to see if my mom would come in. Oh, uh, interesting. So to see if I could figure out, like, what am I saying and what response am I getting? I remember going through that thought process as a little kid and just trying to, like, get a handle on it. And oh, I wow. honestly think that that's, like, the mind sort of <clears throat> coming online a little bit. And I guess when you're a bit more analytical, it's like you're kind of taking mm -hmm. ownership over, you know, you have a little bit more agency. And then maybe that's when you've gained some kind of, like, little bit of child consciousness or something. Yeah. And I've always thought that, that was maybe... Um, the reason that I remember doing that. Hmm. I re also remember a, I also remember a dream that I had when I was at my babysitter's before I went to kindergarten. So that would have put me at like four at the oldest, I guess. Yeah. And, and it was also like a traumatic, like nightmare kind of a dream being. Wow. That so it's all like connected to, yeah, something that's a different experience. It's either analytical or slightly traumatic or something. I don't have that good of a memory in my adult life to remember that much of my childhood. <laughs> yeah. Well, memory is also so faulty, you know, and yeah. uh, it also depends on like how often you think back to it as to whether it's going to like solidify as a memory. So maybe I've thought back about that a lot or something. I don't know. Or I, it could be. I kind of have a memory of a crib as well, but I think it's more of an implanted memory where mm -hmm. my parents told the story so much that yeah. somehow it, grew into a memory yeah but i don't actually remember being there i remember yeah. the story of being there and so yeah. i think that's why i didn't bring that one up as my oldest because i don't really trust it yeah well that's the other thing is that i'm i would only say that i'm at 50 percent trust on my earliest memory because i oh, honestly okay. feel i remember doing all that but you know it's the phrase i remember doing that like what's that really worth right. so i would i feel that it's absolutely true that that's what happened but then i also had a younger sister you know who was also in a crib and it's 
you know, as a child, it's easily imaginable that some of these memories or experiences might have transferred from her. And I thought it was me or something because I was a little kid mm. when she was. But anyway, I feel very strongly that that was my first memory anyway. Okay. Okay. So that was my question for you is, I believe it's dad joke time. All right. I've got a couple today. Right. Have you? I have a I have a couple as well. I will kick us off if you don't mind. I think yeah. mine are weak, very weak, okay. so I won't save yours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll, we can we can ping pong it back and forth. My first one here, they're both basketball themed. Uh, first one is, why can't basketball players go on a vacation? Hmm. A basketball player on vacation? Because traveling is illegal? Oh, he got it. Oh, Nailed it. right. This because that guy is not into it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> be traveling. Well done, sir. All uh, right. All right. It's yours. Why didn't Han Solo enjoy his steak dinner? Uh, oh, hold on. Hold on. Oh, why didn't Han Solo enjoy his steak dinner? Because the steak was too chewy baka. Ah, uh, that's close. It was just a oh. simple. It was chewy. Chewy. Oh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> nice, nice. All, All right. right, what's yours? Uh, this one, I don't know if this is really uh, gettable, but it's silly. What do you call a pumpkin that can slam dunk a basketball? Oh, man. This one's going to be so dumb, but I have so nothing dumb. for it. <laughs> what is it? Michael Gordon. Oh, my God. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> the stupider thing is that yeah. there's a really great dunker out there right now named Aaron Gordon. His name's actually Gordon. So oh. I think this joke's a little outdated. But yeah. Michael Gordon. Missed opportunity. <laughs> yep, they missed it. All right. Why don't pirates take a bath before they walk the plank? Mm. Let's see. Why don't they take a bath before they walk the plank? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know. Why? Because they wash up on shore. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> See, that's, if it's a simple pun, yeah. I have a chance at it. But wash up on shore, that's a whole phrase. And that's, yeah. That's above me. Very funny. All right. Well, I think that uh, that's it. That's all I got today. Got yeah. Anything else? I'm all good. All right. Do you wanna do you wanna lead us out? Yes, sir. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the Talk to you next time. It's pizza time. <laughs>